Welcome to the Yakcast. I am Aaron James Nicholas. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Anastasis. Anastasis. This is the Greek word that we commonly translate as resurrection. It implies a raising up or to stand. And I believe that in order to understand the reality of death and life for a Christian, we must understand what anastasis, what resurrection, truly means in our life. Because for many of us, I believe our understanding of Jesus' resurrection, its power, and its significance gets easily lost in the misunderstandings and misinterpretations that our culture has placed on it. The simple reality that dead things usually stay dead, and that dead things do not come back to life, makes a faith based upon resurrection seem ridiculous. But if we are to stand up To be raised up with Jesus Christ, we must put our faith in the one who declares, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. So, in celebration of Easter, I would like to reflect on Good Friday, Black Saturday, and Resurrection Sunday, and the meaning that these days hold for us as Christians and as believers in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Some traditions hold that the resurrection of Christ can be broken into three parts. Personally, I love this understanding of the resurrection because I believe it helps us understand the complete work that Christ has done in his resurrection and in his redemption of us. We see the three-part resurrection of Christ explained in one of the early creedal statements of the church known as the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed states, that Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried, that he descended into hell, and on the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen a three-part resurrection of Christ, his death and descent into hell, his victorious resurrection and the rising of humanity with him. As we unpack that three-part resurrection of Christ, I believe we begin to understand the reality of our depravity, the glory of his resurrection and our resurrection with him and who we are as the people of God. But before we can understand the resurrection, we have to understand death. What does it mean to die? Where did death come from? How did death begin? I believe we get a picture of the origins of death from the Garden of Eden. Now the serpent said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, 
and he ate. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? You are dust, and to dust you shall return. Therefore the Lord God drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. That's Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 24. And in Genesis 5, 5, we read, All the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Now, if we are to parse out death from this story, we have to make a few observations. There is nothing in Scripture until after Adam and Eve fall that gives us any hint that they would have suffered death. They might have lived forever. The second observation that we need to make is that Adam and Eve do not die immediately after eating the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. In this sense, the serpent, that ancient snake, wasn't lying to Eve when he said, surely you will not die. Adam and Eve did not experience a physical death until much later. But in disobeying God and eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, Adam and Eve experienced for the first time evil. And in their first experience with the reality and depravity of evil, Adam and Eve are separated from God. They hide themselves from God, guilty and ashamed. God asks them, where are you? Clearly, an all-knowing God knows where these two people are hiding. I believe God's question is more a question that comes from his awareness that there is spiritual separation from him and Adam and Eve. They were no longer with God, but somewhere else. And in that separation from God, they experienced a death far greater than bodily decay. The image of God in which they were made is completely and totally destroyed. The moment disobedience enters into their life, the entire created order collapses into chaos. Death, both physical and spiritual death, enter into God's creation for the very first time. 1. On Good Friday, Jesus was crucified, died, and was buried. The historicity and reality of the man Jesus being crucified and dying is not a difficult concept for us to understand or accept. People die. But I do believe it is difficult for us to comprehend the reality that God died. That the full divinity of Jesus experienced a true physical death. He goes into the grave. He actually dies. The life, the living, breathing resurrection dies. God dies. Jesus, the God-man, enters into the physical death prescribed as punishment by the wrath and judgment of God to atone for the sin of Adam in humanity. And because Jesus was innocent, he paid for the sins of man. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. And like so many religions and belief systems throughout the world, Christianity could simply proclaim that Jesus lived a beautiful life full of inspiring teachings and high moral standards and that he eventually was killed by a culture that misunderstood his message. That would be a lofty enough claim for us to follow Jesus. 
that he exemplified perfect, godlike living and paid for sin by dying innocently. But that isn't only what Christianity claims. We claim anastasis. We claim resurrection. Two. On Black Saturday, Jesus descended into hell. God descended into hell. How could God, the resurrection in life, enter hell? How could God enter into a place of everlasting separation from God? How could the holy God enter into the wrath and full punishment of a fallen humanity? How could the fullness of spiritual life experience complete and total spiritual death? It's easy to see how this statement is an incredibly controversial one. It is difficult for us to accept or to understand. In fact, there is discrepancy in understanding and interpretation of this line of the Apostles' Creed, even among the most brilliant of scholars and theologians, both past and present. The interpretations vary from what the word hell in the creed should be understood to mean, to believing that Jesus entered into some kind of limbo, purgatory, or intermediary state, like Abraham's bosom or Sheol, the grave between death and resurrection, and that he did that to preach the gospel to the saints that were in prison there from before he came. Some even feel that we should remove this line from the Apostles' Creed altogether. But all that I know and all that I will argue is that this idea of Christ's descent into hell is important, but also one of Christianity's great mysteries. But like all the marvelous paradox of the Christian faith, I do not believe that we can simply throw it out or write it off because it is difficult for us to comprehend or to understand. Because I believe that in this statement, we find the fullness of Jesus's suffering. What we see in the death of Jesus and in his descent into hell is the full extent of what he was willing to suffer on our behalf. God taking the ultimate consequence of the sinner, the forsaken, the broken, and the lost. Taking on the fullness of God's wrath, even the great evil that hell is. Jesus exclaims from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The theologian pastor John Calvin on the descent of Christ into hell once wrote, The point is that the creed sets forth what Christ suffered in the sight of men, and then speaks of that invisible and incomprehensible judgment which he underwent in the sight of God, in order that we might know not only that Christ's body was given as the price of our redemption, but that he paid a greater and more excellent price in suffering in his soul the terrible torments of a condemned and forsaken man. If Christ had died only a bodily death, it would have been ineffectual. No, it was expedient at the same time for him to undergo the severity of God's vengeance, to appease God's wrath and satisfy God's just judgment. For this reason, he must also grapple hand to hand with the armies of hell and the dread of everlasting death. Jesus experienced the suffering and punishment of physical death and the suffering and punishment of spiritual death. 
And because of this, we can exclaim, along with the writer of Hebrews, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. John Calvin writes further, By declaring that Christ descended into hell on our behalf, we are making a declaration about the fullest qualification of his great grace as our high priest and mediator, who was able to understand our forsakenness and our separation in its greatest and most significant magnitude. And the severity of Christ's punishment on our behalf, his suffering and understanding of our physical and spiritual death would be a lofty enough religious claim for us to follow Jesus. But this is not only what Christianity claims. We claim anastasis. We claim resurrection. Three. On Resurrection Sunday, Jesus rose again from the dead. We claim with Peter at Pentecost. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Jesus shares our physical and spiritual death, our punishment for our sin. Though he was innocent, Jesus the God-man entered into the physical death prescribed as punishment by the wrath and justice of God to atone for the sins of man. He takes on hell for the sinner, the forsaken, the broken, and the lost. Christ was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. He overcame death. He conquered death. He redeemed death. He reconciled us to God. He brought dead things back to life. We claim anastasis. We claim resurrection. Jesus rises to the right hand of the Father. He becomes judge of the living and the dead, the mediator. Our high priest, Jesus Christ, knows the deepest reality of our forsakenness, takes on hell, and conquers death the resurrection, and the life. There is no judge more fitting than the God who understands the fullest extent of his own justice, yet offers the fullest and greatest mercy and grace. Claim it with me. Resurrection, resurrection, resurrection. The judge of life and death, bringing dead things back to life. Four. We believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. To our wonderment and confusion, to our lack of clarity and uncertainty, to our disbelief in the simple reality that dead things do not come back to life, Jesus asks us today what he asks Martha at the tomb of her brother Lazarus. Do you believe in resurrection? And with Martha we proclaim, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. We believe in resurrection. And over our lives, over all of creation, in every fallen creature, Jesus cries, take the stone away. Lazarus, come out, unbind him, and let him go. Our death, our sin, our separation destroyed, overcome and overtaken those giant stones in our life that trap us in our tombs and bind us up in our old grave clothes. Addiction, abuse, depression, poverty, mental and physical disorder, lust, envy, greed, 
pride, fear, Jesus takes them away. We are brought back to life. When Jesus died, death was defeated. And like the saints after his resurrection, our tombs are opened and we are raised with Jesus and we will appear in his holy city. We can feel and witness death in the world around us, but in Christ, we have faith and hope that death will be given life. We feel resurrection. We die to the things of death. We die to dead things. Our old self, the dead self, is crucified with Jesus. We share in his death, the death of our sin in him and through him. We share also in his resurrection. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. There are very few explanations about the resurrection of Jesus, as profound as the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So as we contemplate Easter, let's contemplate those words and let the Word of God dwell in us richly. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Christ has been raised from the dead, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, 
Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? You've been listening to a down-tempo devotional from the Yakast, a young adult ministry of Crossroads Community Church. Crossroads meets at 1188 Park Avenue West in Mansfield, Ohio. For service times or for more information about Crossroads and its ministries, you can visit crossroadswire.com. This episode of the Yakast was adapted from a sermon I gave in the young adult ministry at Crossroads. Crossroads Young Adult Ministry, or YA as we call it, meets the second Sunday of every month at 7 p.m. So if you're a post-high school 18 to 35-year-old and you're interested in getting connected in community or growing deeper in your relationship with God and the church, you should come. All of our episode texts come from the English Standard Version, and the background music for today's episode is from the band The La Delay, from their instrumental remixes on the album Horse Teeth. This track is titled I Imagine I and features the harpist Tambor. You can find out more about her music and the things she's doing at tambor.bandcamp.com. And you can find out more about The La Delay at theladelay.bandcamp.com. T-H-E-L-A-D-E-L-E-S dot bandcamp.com. Thank you for listening to another Down Tempo devotional from the Yakast. 